Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. All right. So, oh, I get a different podium. Um, so the, the graphic said it's the week of the time change. How many of you guys always forget when that is? <laughs> it's November 6th. So that will be the date, November 6th. And we purposely chose that week because that week already throws your morning off and a little bit different. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to do the happy medium. We usually have a 9.30 service and an 11.30 service. It'll be at 10.30. Um, some of you, I got to think this through. I think that, yeah, if we mess up and don't change our clocks, we'll arrive on time. The other service will miss, miss us entirely. But... Um, Okay, so we are looking forward to that. That is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, we got to do that now while we still can, because at some point, combining both services won't even work um, as far as space goes. But for now, we can make it work, so we're going to do it again. Um, I'm excited, I say this often, but I am excited about what we have to share today. I believe God put something on my heart because... Um, you know, it, it will benefit us all, but there are some people that God has. Um, this is for this season for you. John 13, 33. Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he would leave. And I've, I've mentioned that recently we dropped off our eldest son at college. And as that was coming up, I found myself having occasional conversations where I'm like, hey, hey, before you go, I just want to make sure that you've caught... This And I would say something that, that I thought was important, whether that had to do with, with his you know, choosing friends when he's out there on his own, or whether it had to do with managing his finances, or, or just different important things. But how many of you realize, when, when the time is short, when you realize you're almost out of time, that's when the more important stuff, like, you, you, you're kind of like, all right, I know I've probably said this a few times, but did you catch it? And that's what Jesus was doing. In John 13, verse 33 and 35, or through 35, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus says, I don't have a lot of time, but here's something big time important. I want to make sure that all the many times that I've mentioned this stuff before, that you definitely don't forget that you need to love each other. And he says, how? As I have loved you. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but loving others has to be based in, in an understanding and an appreciation of how we've been loved. If we do not recognize the value God has put on us, we cannot value others. He says, you must love one another. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Jesus said, it's not because you're in church every Sunday morning. It's not because of the Jesus sticker on your car or your, you know, the fish sticker or whatever it was. It's not because of any of those things that people will recognize you. They will recognize you because of the way that you love one another. John 17, so four chapters later, verse 23, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me. How many of you is that you? You believe in him. Raise your hand. So this is Jesus's prayer for those of us who just raised our hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you missed out. <laughs> Through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He wants us to be one or united so that the world would believe that we were sent, well, he, that, that he was sent by God and that he's influencing us. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, when is the then? The then is after the unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you loved me. He says, unity will make it obvious that God is at work in them, and it will also make it obvious that they are loved. It's interesting that our message to the world is one of love, but it's, it's not just, oh, look at us, we can love on each other. This verse makes it clear that when they see what God desires us to display, that they will see themselves as being loved. That's interesting to me. This is, is what God desires that our testimony be unity and that unity would make those people feel loved. Now, when, when we say unity, when I say unity, most of us think of oneness or sameness. Oh, they're, they're in unity, they're the same. Some people think that what God is looking for is that all Christians be exactly the same. That somehow if there is any difference between one church and another church, if one church is playing on with hymns and another church is playing with, with guitars and drums, we blew it. But let's look more closely 
Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes this sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, let's remember that phrase for a minute. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your father is perfect. If we are all the same, Jesus says, if you are all identical and you love each other, nobody gets any, nobody's impressed. He says, even the pagans do that. He says, the love that will stand out is the love of those who are different than you in one way or another. We are called to unity, not sameness. When Jesus said, love one another, and that by that love, they would know, what he, he's pointing out in this verse, he says, and I'm not talking about how you can get along with people who think exactly the way you do. That's not the unity that he says the world is going to see and recognize, wow, that had to come from a supernatural source because those people who are identical to each other seem to get along. That's not it. He says, and if you greet only your own people, who are your own people? In Bible times, like we have to recognize, Bible times, there were like lawful, it was like Jim Crow on steroids. The Samaritans, you remember the whole situation where Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman and she was like, oh my gosh, you talked to me? Because it was literally law that those two groups were supposed to stay apart. And when he told the story about the good Samaritan, we don't really with that because we just like oh well there was this guy and he was from Samaria and he saw this other guy and he wasn't from Samaria and then he helped him out and that's cool but when we look at what was happening in the culture that was radical and Jesus kept giving examples of people stepping outside of whatever group they had what are your own people we as humans, we tend to divide ourselves up in so many different groups. If you've ever experienced, if you've ever shown up to a place where you know nobody, how many of you have ever done that? Where you just, you show up and there's, there's hundreds or thousands of people and you don't know anyone. What do we do? If you're traveling and you're a foreigner, and you're someplace you've never been, and you hear someone speaking English, what do you do? Oh, you're speaking, where are you from? <laughs> right, we, we gravitate towards sameness. It is natural, and it's not wicked. 
It's just natural that we gravitate towards sameness. When we, when we go someplace, my, my, I'll use my son as an example again. He's, he's in college, and he's talking about, oh, I'm meeting all kinds of people, and what is he looking for? He's looking for someone who enjoys the things he enjoys. When he had to find a roommate, he's like, I was looking for people who put in their bios, they talked about how much they love God. I'm like, cool, what did you put in your bio? Oh, I, I left that out. <laughs> but he was looking for people who were like-minded with him. He was looking for people who liked doing things outdoors and who rock climbed and did the things that he wanted to do. That's natural, normal. And the Bible says that when we do that, the world won't even bat an eye. It's when we step beyond that. What is your own people? Well, for some, that's, that, that may be uh, Christians. That might be the denomination that you're used to. That might be conservative versus liberal or middle class versus upper class or lower class or, or income-based things. Or it might be racially different things there. It might be Republican, Democrat. We got new ones now. We got vaxxers and non-vaxxers and we've got mask wearers and non -vaxxers. And there's so many things and we just divide, 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 divide. And we feel comfortable around the people who are doing the same things we are. And that's not wrong. But the Bible says it's when you demonstrate love across those lines that the world will take notice. And interestingly enough, he says, not only will they take notice, but they will begin to see that they are loved. How is it that by loving people who are different than ourselves, we are demonstrating God's love to anyone who's watching. Christianity was multiracial. Judaism was not. Judaism was and still is singularly a, a racial thing. It's, a, it's about um, your lineage. Do you realize that Judaism does not have any missionary work to like recruit Jews? It's actually hard. If you want to be, if you want to become a Jew, the Jewish system actually denies you patently three times at a minimum. You have to be denied access three times before they will consider letting you in. Why? Because their understanding is that it's based on their heritage. Judaism is a, it's a system of beliefs, but it's also a people. And it's also a language, interestingly enough. Hebrews. So, Judaism was not multiracial. Christianity was. We are called to demonstrate love in the presence of difference, not have an absence of difference. Not every church has to play with an organ. Not every church has to have a drum set. Not every church needs to be the same, but every church should show love to each other in a way that, that disregards the differences. There's, there's a story I heard 
And I'll just read it. He says, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, well, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, oh, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. <laughs> me too. What, what franchise? He said, well, well, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. And then said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist, Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Great Lakes Baptist Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> of course, that's not a true story. But it illustrates how we tend to celebrate sameness until we see something that isn't, and then suddenly that's all that matters. No. No, it is when we love in spite of difference that it impacts people. Since the Tower of Babel, think about this for a second. God is the one who first established groupings or tribes. At Babel, the Bible says that, that humanity was united as one. And then he mixed up the language. And from that point on, he reached humanity within those groups. And the Bible shows us that he used the Israelites as an example to the others. But over and over and over again, he says he did this so that the world would know. The Israelites were chosen not to be the only people God loved, but to be the people God showed his love to the world through. We see several things that kill unity. The first one we just gave a good example of, and that's sectarianism. Well, I can be, you know, this brand of Christian, and I can only get along with those who are that exact same brand. In Mark 9, 38 through 41, it says, the, the disciples came and said, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And he's proud of me. You know how... the competitive the disciples were, right? They always wanted to be doing the right thing the right way to show the most passion and they were always trying to compete with each other and you can totally see John. He's like, I'm gonna be the one that tells him that we did this because you know, like, we totally stopped this guy who wasn't on our team and he was doing the, you know, so we're gonna, gonna go with it. He goes up there and he's like, guess what, Jesus? There's this guy, he was casting out demons. I told him to stop because he wasn't on our team. And he's like looking for like the high five. Jesus responds, do not stop him. Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. <clears throat> See, the disciples were thinking like the world thinks. 
If they're sufficiently like us, if they're totally on our team, well, then we can support them. But if there's anything different about them, if they're not one of us, well, then we gotta stop them. And Jesus said, you're wrong. He said, you are wrong. You need, if, if they are doing miracles, if they are teaching in our name, I, I love other churches. I love getting to meet with other pastors, talk to them. They're on our team. There are things that are different, and I will never forget in the 90s, and I think early 2000s, I had the privilege of going to Cuba a number of times. And Cuba, if you're not very familiar, do we have any Cubans in here today? So Cuba, obviously a communist country, they had been funded by the USSR until the USSR folded. And they were supposed to be the example of a successful communist thing right in our shadow of capitalism and they, there was this whole thing going on and it just crumbled. And so the, the country is very, you know, communism wants people to look to the government so they're very anti-church. And what they said was every church has to be closed unless they have been open since prior to the revolution. So any church that was not in existence in 1948 I think, I think it was like 49 or 50, somewhere in there was the revolution. So any church that didn't exist prior to that didn't have a right to exist. They wouldn't allow any churches to open. And then during that time, there was a dry period um, when everyone was expecting communism to save them and people left the churches. And the churches that I visited often had gone through periods when there was just, just the family attending. And then now there was revival going on, but they weren't allowed to, to open. And there were all of these churches around the island. And the funny thing was that I, I traveled around. Um, I've literally been in every state of Cuba except the island state and got to, to, to travel around and speak to these groups of Bible school students that were there. And I taught in Methodist churches, Wesleyan churches. Um, I'm trying to remember how many, like, it was so interesting that all of these churches had been founded by missionaries prior to 1950. They kept their name, but with 50 years of isolation, with nothing but the Bible to hold on to, they didn't care. We went, I would go into it, it was just, we're here, we want to learn about God. And, and there, there were so many different things. I will never forget. I think I have, do we have some of the pictures from, from that trip? Or one of the trips? I think I sent them to the, oh, Micah's not here today. He, I sent them to his email, so maybe they don't have them. Sorry about that. I did have a couple of pictures. You'd see like 20-something me. And, uh, and some, some of the folks there in Cuba, it was a very, very, very diverse group, but it didn't matter that there were differences because they were all focused on what was the same. And it was powerful, that testimony to the world, to, to those who were around. One of the most damaging things to our witness 
is when we attack ourselves. When someone is looking and trying to understand who is God and what is God's like, and they come and they find a Christian, and that Christian is bad-mouthing the other Christians because the other Christians are getting it wrong. Does that increase or decrease our influence with them? Man, we lose it fast. We share a mission even if we don't share the same room. We gotta resist. There, there are differences. There are differences in, in, we mentioned there's differences in worship style. There are differences in, in, in belief regarding, well, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And we, at this church, we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today and we're gonna teach on it. And, and if you come on Wednesday or Thursday night, ladies, you are gonna hear how to listen to the voice of God because we believe that he speaks to us today. And, there's, and there are churches who don't believe that. But we shouldn't be bad-mouthing them for that. We find the common ground. When there is a difference, it's okay for there to be a difference. But can we be united in spite of the difference? Another, sectarianism is one. Another is racism. Acts 10, 9 through 22. About noon of the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, we got to get the full picture. Peter is Jewish. That doesn't just mean what he believed. That also means what he was born into. Peter grew up in a Jewish community in a Jewish church believing that only people who were born as descendants of Abraham could be a part of that and that this is all about genealogy and race. He's up on the top of the roof to pray and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open up, something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. As a Jewish person, there was the set of, of Jewish dietary laws that he would follow strictly, and that meant he couldn't eat certain animals such as Pigs, and, and this mentions the different unclean or impure animals. And the voice spoke to him a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius. Now, who was Cornelius? Cornelius was not a Jew. Cornelius was a Roman. He was a part of the Roman army who were hated by the Jews. But the Bible tells us that he was a righteous man, that he sought to know and to please God. And God had sent an angel and told him, go send for him. Go send for Peter He's going to tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. 
So Peter, who was previously under the impression that God loved his group of people more than any other, he's wondering about the vision and the men that were sent by Cornelius, which were sent by the word of an angel, came to Simon's house and stopped at the gate and they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking of the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Go, get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So Peter experiences. How many of you guys remember that Bible story about the, the food coming down? I remember that. In my mind, that was mostly about why we as Christians don't have to avoid bacon. That, like, that's the part that, like, stuck out in my mind. And it's true. It does apply to that. However, I didn't realize until much, much later that this is actually establishing the, the, the wickedness of the ungodliness of racism. Let's jump forward a couple of verses in, in verse 27 says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. This is when he got to the house of Cornelius. And he said to them, you are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Remember I told you that, that in Bible times, it was like Jim Crow on steroids? Like, really? They had all of these divisions that were worked into even the laws that they had. And this is what he says. He said, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So that when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then he goes on to, to preach the gospel and then those people get saved and they receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes down in them and they're speaking in tongues and it's obvious that God has blessed and, and come into this Gentile household and Peter's world is rocked. And he goes back and he tells the whole church, he says, guess what? Our race has nothing to do with anything. God loves us all. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. The image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. He didn't create them Jew and Gentile. He didn't create them white and black or yellow or green or any other. He created them in his own image, male and female. That's it. We are, we are called to be different. Are there, there are obviously differences. We Dutch people behave a little different than the Latinos. 
Ain't no problem there. You know, my dad, my last name is Vander Klock. I grew up watching the clock. We are on time for everything. When I was a missionary in Mexico, I remember being invited to a wedding. They told me the wedding started at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Some people are already laughing. Showed up, and nobody there. It didn't get started until seven. It was so different. But when, when I would talk about punctuality, and if you, if you didn't get there in time, they, they couldn't understand. Well, why does it matter to you when people arrive? Don't you care about the people? It's about the people. When they get there, that, that's that party. I mean, we give them a time so they know which day to be there, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon. If we say 6 o'clock, we say 5 o'clock, we say 7 o'clock. It's all the same thing. It's after work. Right? Now, how many of you guys, when you invite someone over, tell them, be there at 7.03? If someone shows up at 7.03, are they on time for 7 o'clock? 7.01? 7 o'clock and 30 seconds, are they on time? Man, we got some serious white folks in here. If church starts at 7 and 50 seconds, or 10.30 and 50 seconds, are you like upset that we started late? Probably not. Because we think in terms of like 30 seconds is an acceptable squish time. I had to understand this. When I was out in this village in a town called Bean, that was the name of the town. Bean, Mexico. Frijol. Se llama Frijol. And it's in the mountains um, near Ixmiquilpan Hidalgo. I was out in this village, and the pastor said, I'm sitting in his house, and we're looking down at the, at the church, and the padlock is still on the front door, and it's 6 o'clock, and, or actually it was 6.30, and I said to him, you know, are we going to go down to service? He says, yeah, we'll get, you know, after we eat. I said, okay, well, what time is service? He says, 6 o'clock. <laughs> it's 6.30. But I had a realization in an agricultural community where everything was based on the sun anyway, people got up in the morning, they went to work when it was you know, not too hot, they did their siesta when the sun was the hottest. It didn't matter. We didn't, they didn't stop at two o'clock sharp. They stopped when the sun was the hottest, which, as you know, changes throughout the year. So they would, they would live based on the sun, not the clock. I mean, the clock told you more or less. You said two o'clock, what you meant was at siesta time. If the sun didn't get hot until... 2.30 that day, well, then you were going to take a break at 2.30, not 2 o'clock. And when they would say that it was at, at 6 o'clock, what they meant was after work. Well, that depended throughout the year on where the sun was during that time. And so they would work in the fields until, you know, it got to be the right temperature, and then they would come. And they didn't republish a new time every time when it was going to be. It was just like, you get it. If I say six o'clock, what I really mean is after work. And he knew understood that. I didn't understand that. I was so stuck on my Dutchness, I'm just like, I was having like overload. How is it possible that I am sitting here 30 minutes after start time and the padlock is still in the church and I'm over here? But you know what? We walked down there at about a quarter to seven. He unlocked the church. And by 7.15, there were a few people coming. By eight o'clock, everybody was there and we had church for like three more hours. We're different. 
But it's our ability to love in spite of differences that shows the world that we're different. Political partisanship is another divider. Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Did you hear that? Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. What are we called to do? What is good. And you will receive his approval. There's a lot of talk about what does this verse mean when an authority comes and the authority says to do something bad. And I don't have time to go into that entire um, thing. I I recently acquired, I haven't read through it yet, a, a whole book that talks about that concept. But we are in told by God that so long as the authority does not ask us to do bad, we are to respect that authority. Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. That's speaking of God. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, the avenger of those who carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So we, we are called to say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a plug in here real quick. We are blessed to be a part of a government that allows our participation. How many of you recognize that? We're coming up on election time. You should participate. If you are of legal age and of legal status where you can participate, please do so. Okay? Um... For the most part, I will stand up here and I'll just say, vote kingdom values first and then consider the other stuff. I'm not worried about how it affects your tax bill or your wallet shouldn't be the number one thing. Hopefully it coincides, that'd be fantastic. But you are, need to speak or vote kingdom values. And I do wanna make a plug just for something in a moment. There are several proposals coming up this year on the ballot. Um, one of which is particularly um, how do I put it? Particularly contrary to kingdom values. There is a proposal, and I believe it's the number three, um, that would make Michigan the most liberal in its stance towards Um, abortion in the entire nation. Many people, it's being presented as some sort of a middle ground thing. It's not middle ground. Um, It would make us the most radical, allowing for um, abortion right up to um, birth, including partial birth in certain circumstances. It also, now this, this just blew my mind, it also grants sexual autonomy to all people at any age. What that means is if a teacher was to have an inappropriate relationship with a young child, all they'd have to do is say they wanted to and that's it. There'd be no prosecution. 
Let's say no. Okay. Back to our point. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. What are we called to do? When we have an opportunity to contribute and to vote, we should do so. And I hope that we are out there and we vote no on that proposition, especially, but also the others that are up. Um, But the Bible says here in 1 Timothy, it says, vote or pray for the kings and all who are in high positions. You and I are called, told, instructed specifically by the word of God to pray for all who are in high positions. It doesn't say only those who are a part of your party. It doesn't say only those you voted for or those you would vote for again. It says all. Whether the people you wanted get in or not, we are called to pray for them. Titus 3.9 says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Can we discuss politics? Sure. But he says, avoid foolish controversies and dissensions. Dissensions. If you recognize that you cannot bring up that topic without going off the, the, your handle and just blowing your lid, don't do it. Don't do it. If you're going to a family meeting and you know that if you bring that up, it's not going to go well, then keep your yap shut. You are called to love. If you, can, if you can talk about it and stay loving, go for it. If you can't, avoid foolish. How many, say this with me. Avoid, avoid. Foolish, foolish controversies. Matthew 22, 17 through 21. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarii. Yes, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? He said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. I want to say this clear. Our politicalness Our politicalness does not come from our Christianity. As I said before, there are certain issues that align with kingdom values, and we as a church should be united for kingdom values. We aren't always, but we should be. But being a Christian doesn't mean you have to vote for this person or that person, or this team or that team. Christianity is not a political system. Our identity is in God and it is in his love for us. And I wanted to get into a whole point here but I just don't have time to talk about the, the potency of God's love for us and how that is where our identity is rooted. When we love others, we cannot do so if we do not recognize that we are loved. If we, when we value others, we cannot do so if we don't recognize that we are valued. Peter was approached by Jesus 
And he said, you're going to deny me. What did Peter say? No way, uh-uh, not a chance. Oh, no way, I'm <laughs> can't be. That's you and me. Oh, I would never, I never, I would <laughs> And then he did. He denied Jesus three times. And when Jesus came back and reinstated Peter, what did he talk to him about? He talked to him about love. Because Peter's identity was in what he did for Christ, not what Christ had done for him. And Jesus had to come back and point that out. You and I, as long as our identity is in what we're doing for Christ, we're wishy-washy. We'll be there. I, can, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, you will. But when it comes out of your, your focus on his love for you, when, when your behavior isn't what you're doing to earn his love, but it is what you're doing in response to his love, that's when it stabilizes. That's what stabilizes your and I's identity. We love others, we unite with others, not out of a duty to do so, but a response to his universal love of us. And when we realize he loved us despite of our issues, then we can love others despite of theirs. Amen? Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have called us to be an example of love to the world. You have called us not to be the same, but to be united. To look past differences and love anyway. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of every person here. I pray your blessing on them. I ask that you would inspire us to love those who we wouldn't characterize as our own people, but that you see as our brothers and sisters. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much. Again, don't forget.